and Tales of Panam, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panam on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week is a bit of a special episode. I am being joined by a very exciting guest, so I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we'll get into it. Hey, my name is Mackenzie Lansing. I'm a screenwriter and actor, and I play Coral in The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Awesome. So my first question is what I start off everyone who comes on this podcast with, which is just, were you a fan of The Hunger Games growing up? Did you watch the movies, read the books, or was this movie sort of your introduction to it? So I had watched all of the movies. Um... And then I became a fan of the books through being cast in this, but I hadn't actually read the books um, until uh, coming onto this project, but it became a fan through uh, being involved for sure. See that I really, really like love. See, I've seen so many of like the cast members posting um, like their stories about how they were a fan growing up or like when they saw the movies or read the books and seeing everyone talk about it just makes me so excited as like, a fan of the series who's like roughly the same age as a lot of the actors now just seeing like people who grew up with the series in the same way that I did inhabit these roles is so exciting to me and it makes me so happy and it makes me feel like I can feel the love and attention that is being put into it because I know that people care about this series just as much as I do. Um, so on your actual process, what was sort of the audition process like for the role of Coral and like, how did you come to have the role? Yeah. So I, uh, I get this question a lot. I mean, I've been an actor for a while, started out with like smaller roles and then, you know, grew from there. And, um, I got an audition through my agents, uh, for this project. It was like, the preliminary preliminary audition was taped. Uh, so I just went on tape and it was like some early draft of a scene with Coral uh, where she's like telling Tanner to uh, uh, to go watch the beams or whatever. And he, there's like a reference to cows in it. So I actually had no idea I was auditioning for the Hunger Games. Um, and then there was like a follow-up and then I think a final audition with Francis Lawrence and a few producers uh, on Zoom. So none of it was in person. So at what point in the process did you find out that it was for the Hunger Games? <laughs> when my agent called me and told me I got the job. So he called me and I was like, oh, this is that. Because I also like intentionally, you can research like code names for projects, but I don't do that because I feel like you get really attached. And like, if I had known this was for the Hunger Games, I might not have done as good of a job because I probably would have been nervous. So he called me and I was like, oh, here we go. It's that thing I had the callback for. And he's like, hey, you booked it. And I was like, awesome. He's like, you're going to be in the Hunger Games. So I was like, what? Uh, so I was very confused what he was talking about. But, you know, uh, I should have known with Francis Lawrence on the call, like what was going to happen. But uh, but I think I intentionally kind of kept myself in the dark. So that's when I found it. And then after that, what was sort of the training process like, especially playing a tribute with all the like stunts, fight scenes? What did you guys have to do to prepare for the war, like physical side of that? So I had a personal trainer in New York that I was assigned. And then when I got to Berlin, uh, we got there like a month before there was any kind of shooting. And we had this sort of fake arena, like this stunt warehouse, essentially, with everything already set up. Um, 
so that we could practice the stunts we were going to do in the movie. Like for instance, uh, Nick Benson, who plays Jessup, you know, had to practice falling backwards over and over again. Um, I had to practice climbing the beam, but we would always start the day doing that big uh, fight sequence in the arena. So we would run that like 20 times, or maybe I'm exaggerating. We'd run it, it felt like 20 times. We'd run it a bunch, then work on certain segments of it. And then everybody would break off and do individual stunts. So it was a lot of work, but it was also a ton of fun. But that was like a month long, I think. Yeah. And then did you have like a favorite part of the filming process or just a part that you enjoyed the most personally? That's really hard to say. I enjoyed so, I enjoyed all of it. But I, I think that, the when we arrived in the actual arena we had practiced for so long like all of the fighting sequences and then we showed up every day and would shoot uh the fight sequence and different things and i think that working in the arena um in poland was probably uh my favorite part of the entire experience um and then what sort of like conversations did you have with francis lawrence about coral's character and what were like some of the most important things that you had to think about when taking on that role? Um, I think that, so for instance, her death scene wasn't really written like that till later. So at first, something we were playing around with was like, how much empathy does she actually have? How disconnected is she? Because we're still at the beginning of the career districts. And that was another thing we had to discuss is like, how developed do we think these districts are in terms of like, have they started training people? Because she obviously didn't volunteer. But like, do we think that, they trained her just in case that they had certain people within an age range where, you know, we had a lot of discussions like that with Francis and it kind of is something that grew as the script, you know, it was being rewritten while we were on set. But like one example I can say is that like, we talked about how, you know, Mizzen and Coral are obviously pretty skilled with their weapons and how they were probably part of a group of kids who like, you know, beginning of the careers. So like met by the docks and like trained with their weapons for a few hours a day. So that's something that we sort of like got into was like how well we knew each other and also what the beginning of these careers looked like and how they're not completely trained to be without empathy just yet. Like we're still at the start of all that uh, pre Cato and everything that happens later. Yeah, I think definitely when I saw the movie, I was very, with the tributes in general, and especially Coral, I was very, like, blown away by the sort of difference from, like, book to movie, because, I, like, in the book, you don't really see as much of them, I guess, because we're so limited to, like, mm-hmm. Snow and his perspective and the mentors and everything like that. So, like, seeing the movie, I felt like everything was so fleshed out with all the tributes. And, like, going from that, were there things from the book that like we're like okay this is really important that we keep and like what were some of the like key things for Coral's character that had to translate from book to screen I mean that was what was hard about her right because we don't get a lot of backstory so a lot of it was but but Suzanne Collins does give hints you know in when she kills Lamina when 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 you know um when Mizzen gets hurt in the book like where we we do see that side of her that's kind of reflected a little bit but like you said we're um you know limited to Corio's perspective. So that was one of the things, you know, when making the movie, it was like, how do we keep it in Corio's perspective, but also we are leaving it at times. So how do we also show the characters and what they're like independently? So I think we like went off clues that were in the book, but then sort of with uh, Mike Leslie, the writer and Francis sort of tried to fill in the blanks. And I think it was really, really important to Francis, especially in this movie, to really feel like all of these tributes 
had full lives that they were leaving, no matter how vicious they are in the arena. So that this movie more than ever really does pose the question of, you know, who the real villain is, even though we've talked about it before in the other movies and stuff, but really showing that I think Francis said something like he wanted to show that it doesn't matter. You know, you're you're disabled. You're going in. You're you know, and it doesn't matter. Like you're very young. You're still going in and to show, like, I think the innocence of some of the tributes. So we even in my character, who's a little bit more vicious, it was like, how do we incorporate that and still show that essentially she's just a kid? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like even just like the relationships between the tributes either from the same district or different districts which is actually um I think that like district loyalty is kind of an interesting thing in this series do you think that Coral sort of feels that sense of loyalty towards Mizzen and how does that factor into their dynamic I think she does I think that in my mind there's a possibility that she did know him before um I don't think that we're like quite where we are in the later books and movies where like you want to go in to represent your district. But I think that if she has to be put in there, she does feel like if he's from the same place, to some extent, he's family. So I do think she cares about him. And I think there's loyalty to like her home and where she comes from more than like this more nationalistic approach that arrives, I think, later on. Yeah, I think that the sort of like district loyalty is very interesting. And I do you know, she is in her own way a little bit gentler with Mizzen in just the way that she, like, is ordering everyone around, yes, but there's just this, like, slight, like, feeling between her and Mizzen that there's, like, actual care there, whereas with, like, Treach and Tanner, it's more so, like, you're just a means to an end, like, part of this alliance until I don't need you anymore, as we literally see. Um, But I do think that you can see with Mizzen that there is, like, actually, like, some loyalty there beyond just the loyalty and the like base level trust that is required to go into an alliance with someone in Hunger Games. And then aside from your own character's death, is there another scene that you thought was like the saddest scene, made you cry, anything like that? I mean, I've talked about this before, but like it, it, it's cliche, but like when Mizzen died on set, I had to like walk off set for a second because he, Cooper's such an amazing actor, but he was just like right there in front of me. Uh, That really got me. That was hard to recover from, Um, you know, Uh, that. And then when I was watching the movie, like that was when I was on set. But when I was watching the movie, I think um, Sejanus, like that really got me. And Marcus, a lot of different people. Even, even, I was going to say, even Irene, even Lamina, even though I killed her. I was like, oh, um, so a lot of different people, but I would say about in that order. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm a Sejanus fan through and through. So I was definitely like his, I, but the thing is I like knew his death was going to be bad for me. Like I knew that was going <laughs> to, that one was going to hit me really hard. Um, I, Mizzen's death really got me too. Um, I was so like, I was like, okay, I've read the book. Like, I know what to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single death scene, I was like, no, I was not prepared at all. So many of the tribute deaths, I think it in part because of like how different they were and then being so like taken aback by like the the ways that things were changed. And I think that like, it like seeing it on screen, you know, in the book, like I said, we're so limited to Coriolanus's point of view and like his... Uh, perspective on things and like him watching everything from the mentor room like we don't feel like we're 
necessarily like in the arena with the tributes and so in the movie we obviously get to be like with the tributes a lot more um which I think is awesome because it kind of takes like what Suzanne Collins set up for their characters and really expands on it in a way where like obviously I care about the tributes going in like their children I'm but like I think that I have this more like individualized idea of like each tribute and you were talking about like sort of discussing like where they come from before this because I think it's so easy to view them as just like they're just a tribute in these games but the whole point is that we don't want that to be what their life was you know like they had a whole life before the games happened to them and before they were killed and I think that like when we only see really the lead up to the games and the games themselves it's easy to be like that's what their story was but like they had family and friends and and lives back home and like hobbies and interests and all these things that like make a human being a human being especially when they're so young and they're all teenagers and just like coming out of the movie I found myself thinking about that stuff like genuinely I had a lot of like moments where I was thinking like oh I wonder if like like Treach and Lamina for example were like classmates or friends before this or like I wonder if Tanner and Brandy or like Wovie and Bobbin like all of these people that come from the same district I'm like did they know each other did they not because you know some districts bigger than others like I think there are are tributes that come to the games from the same district don't know each other at all and they sort of connect through having to go through this horrible experience together and that's why like there's a lot of alliances among people from the same district and even like Dill and Reaper didn't have necessarily an alliance in the way that you think of like Coral's alliance but they still had each other's backs Reaper still looks out for Dill as much as he can while also having to be realistic that like at the end of the day only one of them is going to get out of this alive and like district loyalty can only take you so far because there can only be one winner until 64 years later when there could be two but at, at this moment at this moment and then is there any like one thing that you want viewers to sort of take away or like learn from Coral's character or sort of like the moral of her character I guess a way to put it um I don't I think it's it's in her character but I think that she's a vessel for what's present throughout the entire book and the movie which is that people are more than one thing um and that people can be uh slaves to their circumstances and that's I don't know. I think that it's less of like saying whether that's good or bad, but more of an observation. And I think that that's something that's very present in the book. Um, I think that it's in the book that there's a quote like the, that Dr. Gall has, which is like, what is the social contract necessary for survival? And I think that that's something that I thought a lot about when creating this character. Um, But yeah, I think that people are contain multitudes and can surprise you. Yeah, for sure. I think, Coral especially very interesting because yeah like you said she's sort of you know she's more intense she's more like on the offensive the entire games and I think that that like makes people want to sort of view her as like a villain and so I think that in the movie especially in the book too I mean Suzanne Collins always does a great job with like handling the tribute stories and even like tributes that are not necessarily like the main focus of the book are still very like we're being reminded that like one they're just children 
And two, like, it's literally life or death. Like, they are not, they have no choice in going to the games. And it's like, if you, if another person lives, that means you die. Like, it's not, there's no, like, nuance to that. It's that you live, somebody else dies, and that's just how it is. It is. And then it's like, it's like, what did they go through pre this that predisposed them to be survivalist or be more like Lucy Gray? You know, I always think about the fact that like Lucy Gray talks about her mother. So she clearly had someone who loved her a ton growing up. And I wonder how, even if we go back to some of these tributes, like beginning origin stories, like how that might've shaped who they become in the arena. And we also see something that's brought up in the books and the movie is like how even Lucy Gray at times almost slips into being a villain because she can't help herself because of the circumstances that that she's in, you know? I mean, that's the entire movie right there, Songbird or Snake. But yeah, uh, I think that's very true. It's, she is, Coral is a villain, but she's also a lot of other things too. Yeah, that's why I think the career districts are so interesting because, and like to see how they develop from when they're not, really viewed as careers until like we see them later on and it's like this whole thing of like the careers are always going to team up and they've been like trained since childhood and like what do you even do if you're like a 16 17 18 year old who spent your whole life being trained to kill other children like this is your life's purpose and even though you might know that it's wrong and not want to do it like so I think even today sometimes we forget how we are so slave sometimes to what the world expects of us and when we see it put on screen in these very other circumstances, we're like, not me, I would never do that. But there are smaller ways in which I think we're constantly, you know, slaves to our environment, essentially. Something that's interesting about what you said is like, so the scene where we had uh, with uh, Hiroki, you know, where like I call him over, that was a scene that was improvised. And Francis decided to add because he was like, oh, I want to show like the first time sort of that careers were invented, that somebody was like, debating like who to team up with you know yeah no I I love that little moment so much especially because like in the book it's very clear you know there's this sort of alliance forming and it's like okay I'm seeing how like this is gonna sort of evolve into what we know as careers but to see it sort of like later on the careers are very like your mentors and your district are all like you're gonna team up with the other careers and that's that so to see it as more of like a choice by the tributes and like obviously there's safety in numbers obviously having more people on your side gives you a better chance of winning especially like when you're up against 24 other people um so to see it being it's this like choice of them like who to team up with and like who can you trust and like when you sort of have to start like getting rid of people if you're gonna be the one to survive yeah it kind of reminded me so I'm like a huge survivor fan and it kind of reminded me of that because it was like when we were talking about with the other actors like okay well why didn't she choose Reaper you know and it was like because she can't necessarily dominate Reaper you have to pick someone that's the right level of like threatening but also a follower so that you can take them out in the end if you need to and all of that was interesting to like why didn't she pick Lamina and like things like that yeah there's this really interesting like line to walk of like it's nice to be in an alliance but like how long can you actually trust someone when like the numbers are getting lower and lower and it's like okay there's not that many people left other than the group of us and like at the end of the day there can only be one person winning so is there anything else just about the character that you find very interesting anything that was like when you were first learning about this character was there anything that really really drew you in 
Um, I was sort of like handed the scenes little by little. So I feel like she got more and more three-dimensional as I got like the rest of the script. And also, um, as she was kind of rewritten, it felt very collaborative. Um, I think that just trying to come up with moments where we get a sense of who she is outside of the games. And those are very small and it's still important for her to be ferocious and merciless because she wants to win. And that's like number one priority, but trying to figure out one, where that comes from, because I think a lot of us, if put in those circumstances, like sometimes I'm like, I think I'd just be like, whatever, I'll die. It's fine. Like, you know, like, uh, I think that, so to, to be like, what, what, light, what lights that fire to be like, I am going to be the sole survivor here and like quote it survivor again, but I'm going to be the, you know, I'm going to make it to the end or whatever, um, was really interesting. Cause I, like you said, you know, there are lots of clues, but having to flesh out sort of, um, denser backstory to make sure that everything that's happening feels supported by her past. Yeah, no, I'm literally the same way. Every time I read it, I'm like, I don't even think that I would have, (laughs) I think I would just give up. Like, I don't think that I would ever view it as like, oh, what strategy can I use to win? I would just be like, I'm not going to. And I, yeah, it's really interesting, like, seeing the, like, even the tributes who are like, I really don't have a chance of winning. Like, once they're actually in the arena, seeing like, are they going to fight? Are they going to team up with someone else? Are they going to hide? Like, the strategies that they're employing. And I think that Coral especially like went into it very clearly, had a strategy very clearly was like, no, I'm going to like fight till my very last moment to win this thing. Oh yeah. And I think for her, if it wasn't going to be her, it was going to be Mizzen. Mm-hmm. And I think that also probably lit a little bit of a fire to have this like young kid depending on her where it's like, if he has to die, he's going to die in an honorable way. Nobody else is going to kill him. You know, um, that was something that I thought a lot about. Um, but yeah, she clearly came in with like a very specific strategy. Um, and I think that it's also like had a very specific view on the world where it's like, you can't fight the system. You have to fight from within, which is like one way to do it rather than sort of a Reaper character. Who's like, I'm not even going to play. Cause this is rigged kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's another interesting thing too, is like, there are tributes and characters who aren't even tributes within the series who are very like, I'm not going to like do anything by the capitals rules. And then you have kind of the opposite, like you said, like playing from within the system is like, they don't, there's not really anything that the tributes can do when they're being forced into the arena. Like they can't necessarily fight that. And so it's like, is fighting to survive, like the way to sort of get back at the capital. And also like at the end of the day, when you're, literally a child in that situation like how how much are you going to be thinking about like what's what's like the right thing to do here what are like my morals here versus just like pure survival and like knowing that you could die at any moment yeah yeah absolutely I think like another part of you kicks in too you know Mm -hmm. yeah that sort of like instinct and I yeah this book in particular is so interesting with that when we have like Coriolan is going into the arena and killing someone and like he was never even a tribute and then suddenly he is in the exact same situation that everyone else is in but instead of gaining some kind of like humanity or understanding from that he goes in the complete opposite direction which I think he's such an interesting character like I I remember like finding out about this book and I was like when it was first being written I was like okay yeah like I'll read like a villain backstory like that's interesting but I never expected 
it to be what it was I sort of think that I had like expectations of like we know how evil he is we know like that he was the president blah 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 and so the sort of the like real deep nuance that his character got where it really does at times feel like he could go either way even though you know he's not going to was just so good yeah, Suzanne does such a good job of like, no matter how big a, f- a fan you are and how like versed you are on the horrible things that President Snow has done, that you still root for him and kind of like feel guilty for rooting for him or think maybe he'll go a different way, which like it's really hard to do that when your audience already knows where something is headed. So that's like, yeah, so, so skillfully written. Yeah, and he's such a like true villain in the sense that like, he does so many terrible things and never in the original series are you supposed to be like, oh, but like he did it for X, Y, Z reason. Like he's just like truly and purely evil. And so to go back and have me be like, oh, but I wish that he would have like run off with Lucy Gray and like yada, yada, yada. I was like, wow, I literally never expected to go into this book and come out of it like having moments where I genuinely was rooting for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the movie does a good job because it's so hard to like, uh, sort of, because you see him become evil over time when you have his thoughts and you see it like gradually him like negotiating like why it's okay to do X, Y, Z. And then when you don't have that anymore, it's like all in Tom's eyes. Like you just have to show that. And also like they had to show more moments, I think of innocence from him so that you kind of oscillate back and forth between these two sides of himself until he really like picks uh, to go one way. Yeah, the the narration in all the books, really, but this one in particular is just so good. And I think that I'm always, like, really impressed by the adaptation to screen of, like, even though we're not, like, literally hearing all his thoughts, I still, like, can tell what he's thinking. I'm still following his thought process. Just so good. Any, like, final thoughts about the character, the movie, any other characters that you really like? Just anything else you want to talk about? I mean, it was a real joy playing this character. I think that the Hunger Games fans have been like some of the most supportive audiences I've ever like had the privilege of, uh, you know, giving life to a character for. So I think that that's been a really amazing experience. And um, and uh, and yeah, I think that we loved making this film, hopefully as much as the fans enjoyed watching it. Um, so yeah, I think for a lot of us, being on that set was a transformative experience in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that seeing this sort of like resurgence of Hunger Games fans makes me so <laughs> happy, especially because, yeah, I think that like in general, my experiences with other Hunger Games fans have been like a lot better than like, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of things, talk to a lot of different people. And it's always like Hunger Games fans, I feel like are consistently like very interested in just like reading and interpreting and like watching the movies and stuff like that and there's less like toxicity like people yeah. trying to say stupid things and all the other yeah it's a, it's a very open-minded and supportive <laughs> fan base I was really scared I've never been on a franchise this size and you just don't know like after one of the roles that I did on a tv show I got like a lot of support but I also got a lot of hate so I just didn't know which way this was gonna go um and it was like overwhelmingly positive um because of how great the fans are and also that they I think like there's a lot of communications between the fan base and like Nina Jacobson and Francis Lawrence so like they're constantly doing it for them and making sure they're involved in it you know yeah yeah definitely everything feels very connected and everyone feels very like even like people like me who I was like what like 
10, 11 when the books were first coming out and now coming back when people are like in their 20s and everyone is like still super enthusiastic about it and like and everyone like rereading it when they're an adult and being like oh my gosh I never thought of that or I never noticed this before and stuff like that has been like one of my favorite parts of like having another book and another movie however many years later yeah absolutely the resurgence of, of the fan base has been really really cool to be a part of yeah no it's so much fun I love it awesome well thank you so much for coming on this was so much fun thanks so much for having me yeah of course um, and thank you to everyone listening for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Um, if you have any other specific questions or topics you would like for me to cover, you can DM them to me on any of my social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanem at gmail.com. Um, my schedule has been a little inconsistent as of recently, um, but I will be continuing with my coverage of the Ballad of Slumber and the Snakes movie. So again, if you have specific things you'd like me to discuss on that feel free to send them my way if you would like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify it would be very appreciated once again a huge thank you to mackenzie for coming on it was super awesome to have her talking about coral and yeah thanks again for listening and i will be back soon